0: connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insight into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing what America's food monopolies mean for producers and small businesses. And if vegan wines differ from other wines. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X Talks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, food industry journalist and webinar moderator at XTalks.com. And this week, I'm joined by Aisha Rashid, Sarah Hand, and Mira Nabulsi. Thanks for coming today. So, I'm going to start us off today with a story about food monopolies and what they mean for producers and small businesses. So this is kind of a shocking story, Uh, but the other day, The Guardian released an investigation uh, about America's food monopolies that completely dismisses the idea that consumers actually have a choice in the brands that they choose to purchase at the grocery store. So we all know about big food brands, but it doesn't become abundantly clear until, to me at least, until I looked into this investigation. So in terms of what this looks like, um, the news outlet The Guardian partnered with a nonprofit called Food and Water Watch, and they revealed that only a few big brands control the majority market share of almost eighty percent of dozens of grocery items bought regularly by ordinary Americans. And this goes for more than just the final products on the shelves too. These these the investigation found that a few companies also dominate all links in the food supply chain. So this could be seeds, slaughterhouses, breakfast cereals etc. Almost everything. So in practice, uh, we can definitely see this with uh, Pepsi, for example, who controls 88% of the dip market, since it owns Tostitos, Fritos, and Lays. Um, And we wouldn't necessarily associate Pepsi with dips. Uh, We generally associate it with beverages and sodas, uh, which it also controls about 28% of that market as well, along with Coca-Cola and Keurig. And altogether, the three of them control 93% of the soda market. And uh, in different sectors, um, 73% of breakfast cereals um, are dominated by three companies, General Mills, Kellogg's, and Post Holdings, as well as Beef and Pork, with companies like Tyson, JBS, Cargill, and Smithfield uh, controlling the majority of the market share. So... When we think of food monopolies, these companies, they they don't really surprise me, but they're kind of the silent winners uh, in the food industry. Because uh, in other sectors, um, such as online retail, Amazon has a clear monopoly in that space. Uh, But with food monopolies, it's harder to spot just given the thousands and thousands of brand names that consumers see on the shelves. And this isn't just bad news in terms of, um, you know, choice and competitive pricing for consumers, but it's also not great for small producers and farmers who, because of these monopolies, are given so little choice on what to grow and which animals to raise. So the investigation also found that only 15 cents of every dollar that consumers spend in the supermarket goes to farmers and the rest goes to processing and marketing our food. Um, And not only is this bad for consumers and small producers, but it can also have detrimental effects on the environment uh, due to extracting maximum profits for minimum costs. And this is definitely an exploitative model uh, that can have grave consequences for animals, water, land, global warming, and just pretty much every resource. So food mono- monopolies, I'm sure you're you're thinking this too, since they control so much of uh, their individual market shares, make it really hard for um, competition for small businesses to even get a sliver of the market shares. And when they do, it rarely lasts. So the report um, references craft beer as an example of this. Um, and, you know, it's kind of led by like hipsters and, you know, just Beer enthusiasts, so it's definitely a flourishing market. Um, And new brands are usually really quickly snatched up by mega breweries like Anheuser-Busch, which owns more than 600 brands. But the thing is, we don't see that on the shelves. We see these individual brands, but we may not know that they're owned by Anheuser-Busch, which is kind of deceptive to consumers and why we think that maybe we have a choice when we're grocery shopping. So basically, you know, these monopolies formed because of weak enforcement uh, of existing regulation and these very, very, you know, uh, money-driven mergers and acquisitions. So... There's a few things that could be done um, to sort of prevent this from happening, even though it's going to be tough since since it's a very tough, uh, you know, they already have such a stronghold in the market. Um, but earlier this month, uh, President Joe Biden signed an executive order that targeted big tech companies to promote competition in the U.S., which included the food industry. And the order also called on government agencies uh, to enforce these regulations and consider rolling back these mega mergers. Um, but despite the public opinion supporting them, um, orders and bills that ban things like factory farming and mega mergers still lack bipartisan support. So the report also calls on consumers to support small businesses and local farmers um, and grocery co-ops, since these alternatives they already exist and they can do a lot to, uh, you know, prevent these uh, monopolies from su- from succeeding further but more public funding is definitely needed to boost these food systems um, for them to take root because as we all know these options are a little bit more expensive too and a lot of consumers are really just looking for the best bang for their buck so I wanted to get your guys thoughts on this Um, is this something that you're surprised about Um, did you think that you had more choice in the grocery store do you feel deceived by this what are
2: your thoughts? I was just shocked to hear Sydney that you know only 15% 15, perc- 15 cents of every dollar goes towards farmers like my mouth like my jaw literally dropped like that's just so like I you know we all know sort of the plight of farmers um in America and or around the world actually really I think in India I think they have ongoing farmers protests uh, going as well so it's, it's not surprising, but it's shocking the, to the degree at which it's it's happening, really. And I think just the way mass production of food um, is done, I think it's just very disrespectful to the environment and to the people, whether it's farmers or the consumer. That, that, that's my take on it. And I think these mega mergers and all of these things, you hear about it every day. Oh, You know, today, you know, five of these fast food food chains are owned by like Pepsi or the same company. And it's just, it gets, it's getting really old and it's just getting really, really frustrating as well as a consumer where you just see these big monopolies occurring, but hopefully we can, you know, work towards change. And I think there's a lot more awareness now of, you know, buying local supporting local farmers and things like that. So um, there needs to be a paradigm shift in terms of how uh, food is grown, how we see our food, and how, and just the level of respect that needs to be there.
3: I feel, unfortunately, the culture that we're now in—it's difficult to move from this kind of mindset because a lot of, let's say, startup companies do want to get bought out by the biggest companies, right? They mm-hmm, want the mm-hmm. the money. They want to, yeah. you know, sell their company and then make a new company, for example. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I feel like this idea we all know exists is like the idea that big major companies own most of the things in grocery stores. But will it change? I don't know. I don't know if like people actually want to stay small and local, right? Mm-hmm. Um I feel like a lot of people feel, yeah. will start companies to make money to they see a potential in the market and then get bought out. And then the big company just like blows it up everywhere or shuts it down, whatever they think, they you know, benefits them. But, yeah, I wish there could be a shift and I want to see that we could get to that point. But I think that's such an outdated um, ideology that it's so hard to go back to that now. I don't know. That's my take on that.
2: I think these mega mergers are outdated in a way because it's kind of like the same story. You're like, okay, they, you know, these small companies, they come up, they get bought out. I, like that is such an old story for me now. And I I wonder if consumers can drive this change, like if consumers demand for more local or more, you know, smaller companies and, and things like that. So I don't know. Um, I feel like the shift is almost imminent because i think a lot of these big corporations are coming under huge fire like amazon and uh, and i don't know all of these other pepsi and things like that so i think there is a bit of dis- you know people are disgruntled i think um and the sentiments are changing i feel
4: yeah i don't know if it's always easy to find alternatives to these these big brands because um you as you say sydney it's like it's well hidden in the grocery store oftentimes yeah. big brands will buy out smaller companies and they keep the branding that's the that's the part that's the money maker right that's the reason why they bought that company um and i think it's much harder nowadays to uh shop consciously and, you know, perhaps boycott companies if you don't agree with their, their values or their practices, um, because you move from the, you know, big name brand to the like small local organic brand. And then you realize you turn over the like package and you're like, Oh, owned by the big name (laughs) brand. you know, you thought you were kind of like putting your money towards something that that you believed in. and, And really it's kind of going in the same pocket either way. Um... Yeah, and it's, you know, it's so hard that, like you were saying to Sydney, it's so hard for companies, smaller companies, to compete at all and get any sort of a foothold in the market, particularly in the grocery space, because it, it, it's so hard to get space. Like, I think grocery stores are, um, you know, you often go in and you'll see new products and then that's not around the next week and, and they'll give you like a really short shot to... Uh, get your sales um, you know out there and if you just don't meet a target it's like way too easy to cycle you out and get someone else in Um, and then when a product does kind of get some get some space that's when a big company kind of moves in and um, uses their might to either try and edge you out by um, competitive pricing like kind of undercutting or creating a knockoff kind of product or um, you know buying out your company so yeah, I don't know. I think there's all this talk about buying local and things and you see people at the farmers market and certainly, you know, I like that too, but I I I often think it also comes down to the the bottom line and so um if something local is going to cost me this much more You know, I'm going to get it sometimes, but maybe that's not my only source of, you know, if a box of crackers is like $10 because it's made locally and that's so lovely and they're delicious. I don't know. Are those like my exclusive, is that my exclusive cracker provider now? Or am I sometimes going to go and buy a box of like Triscuits? Like, yeah, probably going to do that too. Um, And yeah, especially in bigger grocery stores, it's really hard to find a lot of variety. So
1: yeah, I think it's going to come down to just moderation and, and doing it on occasion. It doesn't have to be all the time. And affordability is is huge too, because as much as we'd all love to shop local from a farmer's market every Sunday, that sounds lovely to me, like a, a perfect day. Um, it's just not attainable for a lot of people, um, or for most people, honestly. Um, so we need to definitely be more incentivized and those prices need to to come down a little bit. And then I think we'll I'll be a little more willing um mm. and to your point about um small businesses um trying to make it i think that's why a lot of them choose to do like the direct-to-consumer route first so that mm-hmm. they cut out the middleman of, of of trying to get into stores because yeah. that whole market COVID has yeah. really boosted that market yep. as well like grocery stores are not as like important you could say as they mm-hmm. used to be and mm-hmm. i feel like we'll also see um you, and, and to your point, Aisha, about the mergers and acquisitions, um, yeah, it's such a catch-22 because these small companies, they want to get, big and they want to be successful and that's kind of the only way that a Mm. lot of them will do it they they get a contract they see the price and how could they say no I probably wouldn't turn down a couple million dollars (laughs) from like Pepsi or whoever was trying to buy me out and you don't just get the money you get the resources um and 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 the marketing you get they're they're professionals at this they know what they're doing and they've done it time and time and time again but yes it's definitely getting old but the thing is it makes for such good news I'm always so interested (laughs) to see what, what, who is buying next. And, and in a way they sort of blow up these companies and, and, and make them huge and give them a name. But yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, But I hope there'll be a shift too. And it'll be slow and gradual if there Mm -hmm. is one, but it's, it's necessary. It's definitely necessary. Hmm. But with that, Mira, I will pass it on to you.
3: Thanks, Sydney. So uh, this week, I'd like to talk to you a bit more about um, how vegan wines differ from other wines. So I certainly did not know this, but a lot of wines include animal products um, in the making of them that does not make them vegan, which could affect a lot of, uh, which could affect the shopping habits of many plant-based consumers worldwide. But The catch is a lot of people don't know which wines are vegan and which wines aren't because you don't actually have to state it. Um, So for a wine to be made quickly, there are some shortcuts that can be taken to speed up the process, the clarification process to be exact. So they add specific agents such as gelatin or um, isinglass, which is derived from fish bladder, or albumin, which is an egg white. Um, or even milk proteins. So the fining agents are needed because they stick to small particles in the wine that are then discarded when they are filtered. So some winemakers believe that removing, uh, using these stuff will remove odors, colors, and the haziness of wine, Um, while others believe that this process actually removes the rich flavor and texture of the beverage. So not all winemakers mention whether a wine is vegan or not because you don't have to. There is no regulation for it. But in the EU, EU, wines that include milk or egg must be disclosed because they are allergens. Um, So Mm. the government says, you know, clear labels should include words such as milk protein, milk, egg, egg product, um, anything that a consumer can find on the bottle to show them that there are allergens in in this wine bottle. But... Um, There are other ways to make wine. So you don't only have to use these animal products. Actually, vegan wine goes through the exact same wine making process and removes the same substances, but uses animal friendly agents um, such as activated charcoal or silica gels or pea gelatin. Um, companies such as Plant X, which is a vegan marketplace, have added vegan wines to their online grocery store. Um, brands such as Rare Earth or Pinot Cellars um, can be found in their um, online market just by typing in plant-based wines. There is a platform also online called Barnivore, which is an online <laughs> platform that allows users to check if the wine is vegan or non-vegan friendly. So doing research on this, there isn't actually much stats on how many people buy vegan wine compared to non-vegan wine. And I thought that was really interesting. And so I wanted to ask if vegan wine were to become mainstream, for example, or become trendy, like a lot of plant based products such as meat or chicken or um, crisps, for example, do you think that Sales of vegan wines would increase, and it's actually better for winemakers to include that on their on their bottles.
1: I think there are so few stats on it because it 's something that no one really knows about. I think mm-hmm. even vegans. Um, you know, and plant-based eaters may think that wine is vegan because it's made from grapes. And I certainly thought that before reading your article. Um, But I think it would be a kind of an eye opener um, if, if a wine company started putting vegan on there, because it would definitely get people questioning like, Oh, was this other wine not vegan? Yeah, Uh, exactly. And what this reminds me of is um, Parmesan cheese has something called rennet in it, which is an Mm -hmm. enzyme from a cow's stomach to Mm -hmm. coagulate the milk. Um, yeah, I think, or calf, I think, or cow or calf, I'm not sure, um, to coagulate it into cheese. And technically then that's not even vegetarian um you know to, oh, wow. to some so when I have vegetarian friends and if and I'm sprinkling parm on everything literally everything and I'm like <laughs> would you are you cool with parm and some are and some aren't so it's kind of like it's it's like weird because it's not like a main ingredient in the wine it's kind mm-hmm. of just like something they use to to filter it so we're we're really getting down to like the definition of like what vegan is and and what vegan isn't because I'm sure some vegans would be totally cool to drink wine uh, that isn't technically vegan and others wouldn't at all so um yeah i think having it on that label would definitely get people like questioning previous choices and and yeah. um and just the existing like you know state of wine um yeah
3: yeah i know 100 i instantly when i read that plant text was in, in, introducing vegan wine and i was my first question is what is vegan wine i thought it was all made of grapes so yeah no this came as a shock to me too
2: yeah, you guys are bringing, uh, uh, constantly bringing shockers here in the food world. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, when I read that too. I was like vegan wine. Like what? Like grapes? You smash them up, and that's it, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, but you know, this could be a great kind of uh, marketing window of opportunity for mm-hmm. for for companies if they do mm-hmm. for the vegan winemakers because. Uh, Vegan is trendy and, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people are vegan. So this is a great uh, sort of marketing opportunity, I I think.
4: Yeah. I have to say just from learning about this, I'm exhausted on behalf of (laughs) vegan people (laughs) of having to be so vigilant of, you know, reading ingredients lists and like it goes all the way to like even like personal care products and things Mm -hmm. that might contain animal products like, you know, lanolin or um, beeswax or whatever that that you'd want to avoid. Um, And I had no idea that any animal products were used in traditional winemaking. So I wonder if you know, what about, I don't know if this is the same process or not, but you know how you can get like unfiltered beers now? That's sort of like a trendy thing for certain types of beers. I wonder if you could get unfiltered wine that hasn't gone through this process and, you know, would be kind of cloudy and would be, have a different flavor, but then they wouldn't have had to use any of those clarifying agents and wouldn't have had to figure out any, you know, vegan alternative clarifying agents. I wonder if that would sell. What what do you all think of like drinking like an unfiltered wine with yeah, pulp so,
3: yeah <laughs> no so some uh, some winemakers actually don't do the, fil- the filtration process because mm, they believe okay. that yeah they believe that doing the filtration process reduces the richness of the wine hmm. so they just keep it as is I- i'm not too sure if i know exactly what if I were to pinpoint the differences, I yeah. have no idea. Yeah, that's but fair. apparently, yeah, some people don't do this process at all. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, have I no can't idea. imagine.
2: Like in so in traditional winemaking, like is this a thing or it's not a thing? Like is this a product of just like. Like modern day manufacturing of wine, or
3: yeah I don't know I think the the um finding using finding agents is to speed up the process, so mm-hmm. wine usually so is a is a beverage that takes a long time yeah. to make, and traditionally yeah. you know the older the wine, the better it is, but this I think is for um okay, so yeah it's yeah. mass production mm-hmm. of wine um what which what was interesting to me is when I was googling more about um or researching more about vegan wines. I kept running into organic wines which isn't the same thing. Mm-hmm. Organic wines uses organic, you know, products to make the wine. Mm-hmm. So I think there is also this um keyword differentiation that needs to be found um, mm-hmm. between organic and vegan wines because an organic wine can still have animal products in it. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, that's what I found interesting is organic wine is very trendy right now. So it'll be interesting to see once people start realizing that wine isn't vegan. Vegan wine could really be trendy as well. So it's definitely a loophole in the market. And maybe the
2: other winemakers might be getting into trouble.
3: Yeah, for not having to state anything.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised that that kind of stuff doesn't have to be stated. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Because I know like... um, you know, people from different, like in different religions, even like Sydney, I think you were mentioning like rennet and gelatin, I think growing Mm -hmm. up, you know, um, from, you know, the religion I grew up with. And it was that was such a huge thing. It's like, oh, we can't eat Skittles because it has gelatin in it. And it's not like Mm -hmm. uh, kosher as per Jewish tradition or halal as per uh, Islamic tradition. So that was a huge thing growing up. And it's like, you know, so I, I, I kind of, you know, grew up with those kinds of things now. I don't, well, I'm not going to say anything, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, like it's, you have to be so vigilant and uh, with respect to what's in products, um, especially if you're a vegan and things like that, uh, or, you know, yeah. if people are religious and they have uh, religious sort of dietary re- restrictions. So mm-hmm. you never know what's hidden in, in, in your food. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering, like, next time I pick up a bottle of wine, I'm going to look at the ingredient list and see Mm. what I can find, um, because I never really cared to do that in the past, um, because I, well, I'm not vegan.
2: Yeah, but I guess, sorry, the difference is also that this is used for clarifying. The, the wines, it's not in it anymore, or is it? Like, no, it's not in it It's not in it anymore. It's, not, it's, in it's just it just anymore. used in the so process. that's why,
1: mm. yeah. Okay, so I probably wouldn't find it on the ingredient yes. list. Yeah, yeah. but mm. also when
3: you do shop for wine, there is no ingredient list. Oh. It's, uh,
4: they they do list, though, like I've noticed some wines here will say um, contain sulfites, and I know some people are like, I don't know if it's so much an allergy as a sensitivity, and so they avoid mm. foods and and wine in particular with mm. sulfites, so you see that, interestingly yeah. enough, I guess, because that's still obviously part of the composition of the beverage. Um, but I guess oh. that makes sense. Where do you draw the line in, like, yeah. uh, something that's used in the production of a food, but like, isn't really there anymore? Like, it's not really like you're Like, you're, you're not consuming it.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Like, I would argue that in the case of rennet, that's still sort of within the cheese. Yes. Like, it's used yeah. in most cheese making um and you piqued my interest about that sydney and i kind of did a quick google search and it looks like you can get microbial rennet for cheese making that would be yeah. suitable then for vegetarians I'm not sure how many companies that produce cheese are using microbial rennet as opposed to animal drive rennet um, i'm not sure what would be you know like cheaper for them um and I wonder if there's even a market for that. Like maybe if you're already vegetarian. Obviously, if you're vegan, you're avoiding cheese. But maybe if you're already vegetarian and and opposed to um, the use of you know traditional rennet and cheese making, maybe you're already using alternatives or just avoiding cheese in general. It's hard to say. I think there there are all these like micro um, yeah. like niche products now that like appeal to a. a niche sector of the market but but those niches can get substantial enough to make it profitable for a company to uh create a product that that fulfills whatever that that need is for those people right so i think that's yeah i can 100 percent see vegan wine be becoming a a thing and you could charge more for it are you kidding you throw that on on the label yeah. oh yeah and you have the right sort of branding around it 100 yeah yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Well, that's the end of this episode of the X-Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week.
0: Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X-Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find Xtalks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more.